0: Superman and the Freedom Fighters Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid.
1: And I'm Nicholas Prom.
0: Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Superman and the Freedom Fighters from DC Comics presents number 62. It's cover dated October 1983. And Nicholas, I, I got to say, this is one of my very first American comics. I when you when I check, it's it really it's like three months after I started collecting American comics.
1: Oh wow, this is one of the. I, I want to say one of my earliest comic books, I got it from a classmate or something, like in the late 80s. So yeah, we, we, we share that then.
0: It, it, <laughs> it, it created us. It molded us. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and we got to say, it is also a 4th of July special kind of story. Uh, and this episode, this here episode, is going out on the 4th of July. It's not my country, but I do wish you a, a good Independence Day on your end.
1: Well, thank you, Sisquit. I appreciate it.
0: And to all the, all the listeners who also live in the States or have a connection to the United States, happy 4th of July, people. I just had my 1st of July Canada Day just a few days ago. Fireworks Day, as we might call it.
1: Do you guys do fireworks on Bastille Day, too?
0: Uh, no. No, no, oh, okay. no! Because the Quebecers, who have their own national holiday, the, more or less for the French-speaking population, is in June. Uh, we don't celebrate that as uh, either, because I'm Acadian. Acadians have the 15th of August, and no, there are no fireworks on on that day. So we go to the fireworks on the on Canada Day, like everyone else, uh, and uh, it's a different kind of celebration. A more instead of um, instead of lights, it's more of noise kind of celebration. Parades with a lot of uh, noisemakers. Uh, that go on on the fifteenth of august, so that 's going to be my national holiday as far as ethnicity as far as culture, but we do celebrate canada day i 'm not an Acadian separatist or anything oh okay those haven 't really existed for a while <laughs> um, so uh, so okay let 's get into it each episode of f w team up uh, one panelist will pick one character or in this case, it could be a team to defend, so in this case, Nicholas. Who is your guy or your guys?
1: I'll, I'll take the Freedom Fighters this time. Sure,
0: they're the well, both characters are are you know red, white, and blue sort of uh, of guys. I'll take Superman, of course. As is customary, we preface with reasons why we like the guest characters. So, Nicholas, what's so great about the Freedom Fighters to you?
1: You know. I just think they're just so... I I love Golden Age characters. I enjoy the Freedom Fighters when they turn up. Uh, Anytime Golden Age characters appear in Bronze Age comic books, I'm a happy man. Uh, I have to confess, I've never read uh, an ongoing series of the Freedom Fighters, but uh, as in many a one-off issue I had as a child, these characters loomed large in my imagination. You know, I had not that many comic books, and so I read them over and over again. And so the Freedom Fighters, just from this one issue, really seemed like... A much bigger deal than they are. (laughs) I had an issue of uh, one of my other favorite comic books from my childhood was uh, Marvel 2-in-1, number 99. It was The Thing and Rom, and it was the only Rom comic I I ever saw, but uh, it convinced me that he was a very big deal.
0: (laughs) He is a very big deal. (laughs) I'm a big Rum Space Night* fan, but, um, and I didn't dis- discover him in two in one. I-, I just bought like a one off issue, like, I don't know, number 49 or something off the stands, yeah. and it creeped me out. Well, those dynamics are creepy. Oh, man. It was, it was really that uh, Body Snatchers vibe. And uh, that was one movie, the 78 the version of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Great movie. Yeah, and terrified me as a child. It used to run on in, in the afternoon on French-language TV. And, uh, you know, that ending with uh, Donald Sutherland pointing and... Um, oh An hound. Yeah. Yeah. Still, still haunts my dreams. Yeah.
1: It, it, it's a pretty terrifying movie, <laughs> you know, now. Still, you know, it holds up, I feel.
0: Oh, yeah. I think so, too. And, um, and Rom was like that. So I, I read that one issue uh screamed out the room and maybe bought one or mo- one or two more because they had like guest stars like Alpha Flight or the new mutants or something but uh, i only collected it as an adult much later uh but read the whole thing a big fan of that series and I'm a big fan of the Freedom Fighters and the, uh, and the Golden Age heroes as well, like you, even though it took me a while to get into All-Star Squadron at the time, uh, which doesn't feature them much, but, but Golden Age DC characters anyway. Do you have a favorite Freedom Fighter?
1: You know, they're all really kind of weird, but I really like the human bomb. I think this guy is such a strange character, and, and I have a lot of questions. Like, <laughs> this guy who has to be in this suit all the time... Because everything, everything he touches explodes. How does he eat? How does he go to the bathroom? I want to know all about the human bomb. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He's a weird character. I, I love his, his ridiculous look. Uh, it's, it's a character that you, like, how do you do this character today? It, it just doesn't work. But I can look at this very uh, simple kind of like welder's or Diver's Helmet costume that I really like. I don't know.
0: Jerry Ordway did a four-issue miniseries with the Human Bomb. What? Yeah, at some point in the 2000s. I have to read this. You
1: said Jerry Ordway at yeah. the Human Bomb. Yeah. Got to read it.
0: Yeah, find it. Uh, I remember it being good, but it didn't lead to anything because I think I think there was like another reboot on the horizon. So. Oh, right. That was that. They were just trying to keep Jerry Ordway busy, <laughs> it seems.
1: As well they should.
0: They, they don't give him enough work, I think, is, is the problem.
1: Yeah. He's got a oh coming out and it ties into the Fourth of July oh. on July third. There is a Captain America and the Invaders one shot drawn by Jerry Ordway coming out and written by Rascally Roy Thomas.
0: Or oh, so it's come out. It came out yesterday from the point of view of listeners. Yes, yes. All right, check that out at your comic book shop. As for me, same as you, I love the Golden Inch characters and quality comics. Uh, really bore that name well. Oh. If you, yeah, yeah, if you look at golden age strips, the quality heroes fare much better art wise than a lot of other, uh, characters. But the, the, the freedom fighters probably have a special place in my heart because of this issue, you know, because it was so early in my collecting career. And like you, it's like, Oh, these guys are these guys running around, you know, and, uh, as, as we'll, as we'll find out during this discussion, they were sort of in limbo at this point. So not as big a deal as we. Would have hoped, I guess.
1: Yeah, um, they were a really fun group of characters, and, and I so they, they had a lot of appeal as a kid. But what I find about these team-up books is it's a lot of tying up loose ends from canceled books or characters that need a copyright renewal appearing mm. in a team-up book, stuff like that, um, which I'm totally fine with. Uh, I wish there were books like these today.
0: Totally agree. Yeah, the team up book is like a lost art, uh, unfortunately. Yeah.
1: And in the Bronze Age, there were like six of them. You know,
0: yeah. Marvel and DC each
1: had like three, and they're all wonderful. And I wish that they would resurrect all of them.
0: <laughs> and in that format, because I think that a lot of the team up books in the modern age have been, uh, you know, Spider Man's going to team up with the Red Hulk for four issues, and then you know, so they're like longer arcs, and there's much less variety. Do
1: it done in one loose continuity just have some fun gang yeah you know that's yeah. that's my dream
0: <laughs> i think we still have that in in books like the digital uh Scooby Doo books uh, or uh Brave and the Bold the cartoon had its own uh comic book series that was like that as well but uh and it seems to me like There it is. There's the appeal. Why can't we do this instead of the the, the TV tie-in, the actual thing?
1: Although I will say I love the heck out of that uh, Scooby-Doo meets the Legion of Superheroes issue. That was great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I don't think the show has done a Scooby-Doo team-up yet. So, uh, that really is something I should be looking uh, to do in the next year. Well, okay. Well, okay. Uh, and if you'd asked me the same question about, uh, my favorite freedom fighter, I think I would have had the same answer as, as yours. I think the human bomb is, is the most interesting, intriguing, old school looking, I don't know, tragic hero in the bunch. Uh, and his yeah. yeah, his strips were very weird in the Golden Age, the ones I've seen, because the, instead of the art being very illustrative, like the Lou Fine stuff that we see in the Ray or Dollman, uh, it w- it was very cartoony. So it, it had a, like a, a more humorous bent, I think, that we don't see once he joins the Freedom Fighters. When, you know, so I, I'm wondering. Yeah. Just I'd love to read a lot more about this character.
1: Yeah, and and I think uh, the concept of this guy, uh, like it it lends itself to like. Why don't we take a more whimsical approach so we can kind of gloss over the like how tragic his predicament really is <laughs> like you know like okay he can fight nazis but you know with this power but it's a it's a curse you
0: know
1: <laughs> but yeah i do agree the the quality comics art from the 40s is really beautiful stuff i love looking at the black condor and ray and dollman stories they're really fun i actually haven't really Uh, read any uh, Uncle Sam's, though, uh, which is a failure on my part.
0: (laughs) They're about the same sort of quality and... Pun intended, I guess, but uh, uh, yeah, they have that same look and the, an ability at the time to break out of the panel, which you didn't see a lot of. You know, the, the people would would stick to the inside of the panel, most artists, but in quality comics, people would break out of panels. There'd be uh, they'd play with layout a whole lot more. So they really did have a different philosophy as far as art went, and that really makes their comics pop.
1: Yeah, and I, I love that kind of stuff, and and you know, quality were one of the the titans of comic books in the golden age, and they folded about the same time that uh, Fawcett did, and it's like, oh man, two of the the very best just kind of shunted off into obscurity for a, quite a while.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about publication history uh, since we're on the topic. Uh, Superman needs no introduction, I'm guessing. Let's talk about the Freedom <laughs> Fighters. Uh, you want to? You want to start us off? Happy to.
1: So, although the, the the characters who comprised the Freedom Fighters all debuted in the 1940s. Uh, published by Quality Comics, folks who gave us Plastic Man and Black Hawk also. It wasn't until 1973, and uh, and these characters had been had, had been owned for DC for 20 years, uh, but unused. Um, but yeah, in 1973, these characters appeared as a team in Justice League of America number 107 and 8 uh, as part of DC's JLA, JSA uh, summer team-up tradition. Uh, and in 1976, uh, the Freedom Fighters got their own series, which lasted a mere 15 issues and was a victim of the uh, DC implosion.
0: Uh, The letters page of this very issue tries to (laughs) to help readers, I guess, make sense of their story since it was aborted before it could be completed. Uh, And it tells us that it continued in Secret Society of Supervillains, actually. Uh, But that, too, was canceled before it could be published. So you have to track down Cancelled Comics Cavalcade to see it, basically. And uh, the letters page says they managed to escape the Secret Society's traps you know, in between pages, in between panels. Returned to Earth-X as because their series actually took place on Earth-1. And uh, Phantom Girl left the team before this issue, I guess, because she's not there. That's all it tells us. It catches up the reader uh, in time for this issue. So they've been in limbo for a couple of years at this point. Post-crisis, the Freedom Fighters were integrated into the One Earth World War II era, and DC created a bunch of young, vibrant heroes uh, with those names, including the Ray and Black Condor, who had their own series uh, in the early 90s, uh, sometimes with links to the past. And Uncle Sam had his own Vertigo miniseries with art by Alex Ross.
1: Oh, that's a really good book. Yeah. Love that.
0: Yeah, and totally out of continuity. Uh, Yeah, yeah, but uh, Freedom Fighters revival didn't really happen until the mid-2000s. And there's a couple of miniseries under the title Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, in which they worked for the secret organization Shade, featured new incarnations of Phantom Lady, Dollman, Human Bomb, etc., led by the one and only Uncle Sam, and had like a government conspiracy vibe. I've got the trade paperbacks here somewhere. A vibe that seems... Really inescapable uh, post-Cold War media, you know, just like X-Files, everything's X-Files, and uh, it's the kind of subplot that's in every genre TV show now. It's got there's got to be a government conspiracy. Well, it was kind of like that with these characters, or at least this brand, because it wasn't the Golden Age characters as so much as people carry on the name as DC was very strong into legacy post-crisis and before New 52. After the New 52, they're back on Earth-X, so I guess they're, they've been sidelined once again. And that, I think that's where we're at with the Freedom Fighters. Okay. We're used to it. <laughs> so, this issue, DC Comics Presents number 62, Born on the 4th of July, by writers Bob Rozakis and Dan Mishkin, and artists Irv Novik and Dave Hunt. Prologue. On Earth Prime, in just a few weeks, the United States of America will celebrate their 207th birthday. One school's last field trip of the year brings the kids, including one Superman fan, to the Museum of History to see a traveling exhibit of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Our Superman fan doesn't care to look at yellowed documents, so he stays in the lobby to read his issue of DC Comics Presents number 62. Rocketed as a baby from doomed planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to become Earth's first and greatest superhero, fighting for justice around the globe as Superman.
1: On a parallel world, enslaved for decades under the yoke of tyranny, they led the winning battle to overthrow their Nazi oppressors, and they battle still, wherever evil lurks, as the Freedom Fighters. Uncle Sam, Dollman, The Ray, Black Condor, The Human Bomb. Uncle Sam journeys to Earth-1, how exactly is not explained, and appeals to Superman to aid him in retrieving the Constitution and Declaration of Independence stolen by Nazis. Superman brushes off Sam's plea for help in favor of addressing quote-unquote real emergencies.
0: Superman speeds to his original goal. Salt caverns used to store billions of gallons of oil that have mysteriously collapsed and sent crude gushing over the countryside. The Man of Steel cannot find the cause, even with his super senses, so he plunges deep into the oil and uses his heat vision to create a natural oil tank that puts an end to the crisis.
1: Uncle Sam returns to the motel or flop house he and the Freedom Fighters are staying in to relay the bad news. Superman didn't take their problem seriously, so they're just going to have to kick Nazi butt and rescue the documents all on their lonesome. Speaking of Nazis, There's a whole mess of them, and they've got an America today, tomorrow the world kind of vague and cliched plan because the magic of America or whatever is imbued in the stolen documents, and now people everywhere are acting like jerks. I totally bought into this crap as a kid, but honestly, it is the stupidest thing in the world. (laughs)
0: It's magic. (laughs) Meanwhile, at GBS News, Clark Kent reports on a series of inexplicable disasters hitting the country, including the bulk of its wheat crops dying in the fields. But some kind of static knocks the program off the air. So Clark makes himself useful by changing into his alter ego, flying to the American Midwest picking up dead wheat samples and studying them at the Fortress of Solitude. For the life of him, he can't find any reason for what's happening. It's magic!
1: The Freedom Fighters hit the streets and exposition dump a bunch of references to their long-canceled ongoing series that I have not read. (laughs) Uh, Then they break up a fight between two kids and attempt to defuse a full-scale riot. They fail. Then Superman shows up, and like the true heroes they are, the Freedom Fighters bail and leave the problem for Superman to resolve.
0: Yeah, responding to a call from the White House to check on a convoy of Soviet ships heading for the US, Superman flies over that riot and sucks the air out of the area with his super breath, knocking everyone out.
1: Somehow, Sam and the Freedom Fighters know exactly where the Nazis are hiding out. Okay, so Sam is attuned to their location because of the uh, spirit of America or whatever? And the heroes bust in and start beating up bad guys. But my question is, if if Sam could do this, why did he even bother asking Superman for help?
0: Magic over the naval convoy now. (laughs) Superman's X-ray vision spies nuclear weapons aboard the ships.
1: Uh, The Freedom Fighters continue beating up Nazis. Uncle Sam slips into the main Nazi's office to beat him up, too. Only to find the bad guy about to light the Declaration of Independence on fire. Good thing the Rey pops in and uses his powers to take the fire away from the Nazi's lighter. Then Ray goes back to the main fight and Sam starts fighting the Nazi leader.
0: Superman doesn't know why, but he's having a harder and harder time making decisions. If he stops the Soviet ships, would he not invite retaliation? And what about the space shuttle acting like a guided missile heading for the lead freighter? He can't destroy the shuttle and kill the astronauts either. With his will sapped by mysterious forces, Superman is unsure of what to do.
1: So the Nazi is actually holding his own against Uncle Sam and speechifies about how America is weak, blah, blah, blah. The price is its soul and I'll be its savior. (sighs) I wish you guys could see my eyes rolling.
0: Superman figures it out. He can't stop the shuttle, but he can move its target. He lifts the freighter into the air, and the American spacecraft misses it.
1: Uncle Sam gives a better speech about how great the American spirit is and wins the fight. Then Sam, talking to himself, says he's going to return the documents to their rightful place. But just then, a Nazi sneaks up behind Sam and takes aim with his gun.
0: Suddenly, a heat beam destroys the gun right out of the Nazis' hands. It's Superman. He's realized Uncle Sam was right about the crisis and tracked him down. Taking Sam under his arm, the Man of Steel flies them both to the White House with the historical documents and deliver them by hand to the president. Later, during Clark Kent's news broadcast...
1: Uncle Sam makes a speech about how great and resilient America is and our duty to be ever vigilant in preserving freedom for all of mankind. We cut back to Earth Prime, and the kid from the prologue has just finished reading this very issue. Now he is excited as all heck to learn about the Constitution. We get some Thomas Jefferson quotes, and Uncle Sam shows up to steal the kid's comic book and give us kind of a winking sign-off to the
0: story. The end. <laughs> I, I didn't really feel your patriotism there, uh, Nicholas.
1: <laughs> I am... One of the least patriotic guys you will encounter. I love <laughs> Superman and Captain America and stuff, but I mean, like, I'm going to offend people, but I don't really care. It's real estate gang, you know? Uh, I like the myth of what America could and should be. They are exemplified often in Superman and Captain America stories, but I I mean, really?
0: But So so you thought maybe, did you think this story was kind of cheesy? Is that, um, I mean, yeah. we're, you were making jokes during the synopsis, of course, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's cheesy. I mean, it's a silly comic book. I mean, I, I loved this as a kid. I thought it was great.
0: You know, they steal the Constitution and everything starts to fall apart. There's a metaphor in there. There's sort of a metaphor, <laughs> I feel.
1: it's Again, Bob Rosakis and Dan Mishkin. Okay. I mean, Rosakis stories can be a little bit on the uh, the Bob Haney side, if you know what I mean.
0: Uh, and thankfully. <laughs> right.
1: No, no, this is crazy fun. Yeah. And I love Bob Haney. I, I know I will pick up any Bob Haney story and know that I'm going to... Have a lot of fun.
0: I wonder if the kid was disappointed that he had two fewer pages than we did. Oh, right. Obviously, the kid isn't reading the pages where he is, you know, stars.
1: He's not having an inception moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I guess he he isn't. And so, I I mean, this is a story with three Earths in it because it references Earth X. Uh, Obviously, it takes place on Earth One, but the, the kid is reading the comic on Earth Prime, I imagine.
1: This is one of my earliest DC comics. And is absolutely the issue that introduced me to the idea of the multiverse, which was like, whoa, what? There's all these other Earths? I'm like, neat. So maybe I would come back to this story, you know, and and just the idea of there's another Earth where the Nazis won and these superheroes had to keep fighting for decades. That's an exciting, appealing idea or concept for for stories.
0: Yeah. What's surprising is that 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 15-issue series they had in the 70s, they cross over to Earth One, and they're sort of on the run. They've been—they're on Earth One, but they're running from the law, sort of stuff. Why? Is, why is the series taking place on Earth One?
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe they thought like maybe we don't want to do a period piece. I think it was coming. It was out like the same time Marvel was doing the Invaders, mm. which was taking place in World War Two. Maybe they thought, eh, let's not do exactly the same thing, even though that would be
0: really cool. Yeah. <laughs> You do it like it's like modern day and they're still fighting the Nazis, you know, decades later, like an alternate universe kind of story. I, I mean...
1: I would read the heck out of that.
0: Uh, I wanted to talk about the Gil Kane cover because it, it appears several times. It means that Gil Kane... I mean, the story had to be ready to go and he had to do the cover. I don't know. When do you do the cover so that it they can, you know, photostat it inside... Uh, the comic itself, so that the kid is actually reading this book with this cover. Uh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What is not cool about this cover is that they've chopped up a piece of Canada, <laughs> the map. Oh, did they? It is the colorist. Because if oh. you to describe it to people, of course, the cover and a lot of the images or things that we talk about today are at fireandwaterpodcast.com in an image gallery. But uh, basically, you've got Superman and the Freedom Fighters. They are running towards camera just beyond camera you've got you got nazis saluting you just got like their their hands saluting and uh, machine guns firing at the heroes uh, but in the background the entire earth is there so you you're seeing the earth with america of course yeah <laughs> yeah uncle Sam's stepping on america right there he's you know sipping on ohio or something and yeah. uh you've got this big black cloud with lightning which means it represents the cataclysms that happened in the story. Now, the colorist painted the oceans on a greenish, like a greenish color, and the landmasses in a brown. But, whoever did that colored the the Great Lakes are colored brown. Oh, they are! And then anything beyond the Anything down the other side of the St. Lawrence River, basically, is just in green because it was just sketched. You can kind of see, you know, like a little line that's supposed to, to be either... And probably Labrador on the, the tip of Quebec. And just under the raised leg there, that's the Hudson Bay. That's Hudson Bay there. So that should have been the green and then the rest of it, except for maybe those little squiggly lines in the ocean, which are Labrador and Newfoundland. should be oh. brown. To re- yeah, so... Uh, so suddenly there's nothing, there's no great white north. I'm sorry, Sisquik. <laughs> That's all right. I don't even know what's going on with those islands under whatever the eastern coast. So it is kind of an abstract.
1: I do like this image. It's, you know, we have all the heroes springing into action. Uncle Sam rolling up his sleeve is really fun. I love Gil Kane. I didn't as a kid, but I uh, like him now.
0: I, I'm the same. I thought, like, the lines were a little... I, I don't know how to describe his style, his modern style. It's It's like the ink... It's like the page is a sponge, and like the ink really gets into some sort of grooves. It's like a thicker line than we're used to. But he did a lot of cover work at the time, and I bought a lot of comics with Gil Kane covers. So oh, I yeah. guess I guess it worked for me. But his Superman here looks kind of a Superboy ish. I don't know. He, he looks a little young for me.
1: Superman's probably the least impressive thing on this cover. Because mm. the the composition it just sings. You know, we have the Nazis. Seagulling and shooting their guns in the foreground, and the heroes coming up around uh, the earth, ready to fight. It's a great-looking cover.
0: Uh, You know, Dollman almost disappears from the image. I think doll Man is kind of—of of course he's small, but I think he, should, he shouldn't he should have been in front of other characters that are also in red and blue.
1: Yeah. So do we want to talk about the story? Well, yeah, let's like, go. Let's go. So I, I enjoy this. This is fun. But, uh, wow, Superman just kind of stinks in this story. <laughs>
0: If it weren't for well, I mean, you need the you need the guest stars to do something. So, uh, but in this case, they don't even really team up. He teams up with Uncle Sam, but I
1: don't. But not even really, you know. It's like the, he he barely acknowledges these other guys and talks to Sam in the beginning and the end. But yeah, it, it's so not a team up.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's Superman trying to avoid the team up basically is what it is.
1: You know, and and I'm a kid, and this is probably my like my first Superman comic. And it's not that impressive because Superman doesn't fight anybody. You know, these guys, the freedom fighters seem so cool because they're throwing all these punches and like jumping around and using powers and stuff. And Superman is, you know, okay, solving disasters or trying to, but there's no confrontation with him against anybody. You know,
0: it feels to me like a lot of Superman stories from action comics and Superman itself in the early 80s pre-Crisis. I would not buy those books regularly. But very often I'd just, you know, pick up a book and it's it's this Superman story where his heat vision's gone out of control. Or it's right. he's solving a lot more in the like disasters, that kind of thing, than he is fighting supervillains. Or you know, it, it's not there, there weren't books that had a lot of fighting, uh, very often because by that point maybe Superman was written as too powerful and so they had to give him puzzles.
1: I'll say this, having read a lot of silver and bronze age Superman material, the vast majority of like silver age stuff is just problem solving. Here's a weird situation. Occasionally there's a super villain, but it's like one out of like a dozen Superman stories has a real villain, you know, and it's usually just some generic criminal or or weird problem or weird interpersonal thing. But I feel in the bronze age, they're still doing that stuff, but they're trying really hard to lean more on. Supervillains showing up, more Luthor, more Brainiac, more of all of these guys, and um, I don't know. It's a it's a fun period. I think it's. I always thought the G, the GBS thing was really off putting. I remember as a kid, I was like, huh? I thought Superman worked at the Daily Planet, you know, because I know it from you know Superman the movie, right? You know, and I'm a child. Weird things like that, I, I didn't like. Ugh, I didn't grok.
0: Well, it, it's always been a little ridiculous that super well Superman's alter ego has a six o'clock date with a, t- a television program sort of thing, you know, it's... uh...
1: CBS was my least favorite thing about the Bronze Age Superman stuff because it's ridiculous. It's it's one thing if you're a reporter going out finding news, you have all kinds of excuses to duck out and and go into action. When you have this six o'clock newscast to deliver, how often are you going to like Fake sick, or do something to make the power go out so you can go fight the galactic golem or the, the atomic skull or something. Really? You know, like.
0: <laughs> Lana was always having to do it alone. That <laughs> didn't make sense. They just wanted to update the technology of it. But the reason he was a reporter is is because you're not tied to a desk. Yeah. So it's easy um, to skip out, you know.
1: So it was a misstep. And also at the time, I think they were trying to do less stuff in the fortress and more uh, in Clark's apartment, which is super boring. <laughs> uh, but, but besides those things, I really do enjoy this period of Superman.
0: I guess the Freedom Fighters come off better than he does in this because – they have agency, it's their mission, and we're, we're not used to seeing them. I mean, Superman using heat vision or super strength, we know. But when we meet these characters, it's like, oh, you know, human bomb rips off his boot. <laughs>
1: and <laughs> yeah, and, and blows up the street. Yeah, they, they all have, like, fun, weird powers or, you know, a cool look. I was so into this. I mean, it's really a Freedom Fighters comic, That happened to have Superman as a guest star. Well,
0: we'll decide that uh, a little later. But, uh, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Because it is two separate stories. It just... America's falling apart. The guys that got the solution have their own story. And there's a guy reacting. It's it's kind of like a modern crossover where you've got the big crossover thing. But in each title, people are... Sometimes people are just reacting to the, the red skies, to the alien invasion, to the time going wonky... You know, so it's like that, but it just like scrunched into one issue. We were always talking about it. Who fared better? Let's talk about the, the usual topics first. How well this fits into each of the characters' stories or atmosphere. So is this a freedom fighter story or is this a Superman story? Uh, you seem to think it's a freedom fighter story. Oh, it's totally a freedom fighter story.
1: <laughs> you know, that Superman happens to be in, kind of.
0: <laughs> oh, it's about America. It's about patriotism. It's got like that yeah. magic vibe that Uncle Sam brings.
1: Yeah, and I love Uncle Sam. Whenever he shows up, I smile big. You know, we just talked about him on my show. We've been covering uh, the DC Challenge, mm-hmm. and Sam shows up and just does his thing, and it's great.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a very int- intriguing character. I mean, that's it's kind of insane. That you're looking for the, your patriot hero, your Captain America, you know, your quality comics in the story. And you just go, well, is Uncle Sam copyrighted? Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the thing, like, this character is forever in the public domain because, you know, it's like Santa Claus. Right. You know, you can't – anybody can use Uncle Sam. They just have to be careful not to make it smack of the DC Comics Uncle Sam, you know, like you and I could publish an Uncle Sam comic book tomorrow, uh, as long as it had nothing to do with the other quality comics characters.
0: I'm going to say if we publish it tomorrow it's going to be pretty crappy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to hone our skills, Nicholas. But yeah, exactly. It's it's uh and and Superman also teamed up with Santa Claus in this series. So <laughs> True, that's true. He's he's going after all the trademarks, you know.
1: He came from the public domain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be a great team-up series. You, you take, you, you know, you're just using public domain characters.
1: Stardust the Wizard meets the Black Terror. <laughs> I would read the heck out of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, you know that's that's right up my alley. All right. Well, I have to agree. I mean, you've got a lot of Superman sequences, but the whole vibe, the problem, the Nazis, the this is all Freedom Fighters stuff. And you know, even at the end uh, or at the beginning, you know, the the frame tale is on another Earth, and the Freedom Fighters are skipping around the multiverse in this. So yeah, totally their story. I agree. And Superman doesn't really come off all that well for that matter. What about cool moves? What are, what is the freedom fighters coolest move? I
1: gotta say, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but the human bomb taking off his his boot and and blowing up the street. Awesome. Doll man shrinking to dodge bullets. Awesome. Ray zapping stuff. Awesome. (laughs) Black condor with his big swirly cape flying around. It really makes it seem like cuz I knew nothing about the Black Condor uh as a kid. It really made me it seemed like the costume was what made him fly. Oh yeah, the yeah. Woofy cape that attaches from his wrist
0: to his hip. Well, no, what what makes him fly is as he was he was raised by condors in the Himalayas. <laughs> uh
1: and I've read that origin and it's insane.
0: <laughs> like he's a flying Tarzan is what it is.
1: Yeah. It's bizarre. He is so flying Tarzan. Uh I don't know. I, I love that in his golden age interest, he just happened to look just like this guy who was like a district attorney. So when he came to the the real world of people, he just assumed that guy's identity.
0: Yeah, he was con- he was a congressman. and <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
1: Sure, why not? You know? <laughs> it's the 40s. Anything is possible. That stuff is loads of fun.
0: I would give a shout out to Uncle Sam jumping out of nowhere, telling Superman, I want you.
1: Yeah, wh- how the hell does he just
0: travel to other Earths. That is not explained, but um, one assumes that there's a way to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know, like, because, you know, Superman can, like, Superman or the Flash can do it because of super speed, breaking the time barrier, and therefore, I don't know, maybe they can figure out how to travel Dimension Hop 2 that way. And I guess, Sam, you can just kind of no prize and say, uh, he's magic, and America.
0: America, I think that's it. You know, it's like the green or the red. For Swamp Thing or uh, Animal Man. Oh, sure. There's like an American stream kind of energy. Or maybe each nation or each culture has that, you know, that a character yeah. like him can jump yeah. to any America, any version of America.
1: Now, that being said, that would make me think that the America of, say, Earth One or Earth Prime, he would be more powerful when he's there than when he's on Earth X where America is ruled by Nazis.
0: right. Yeah. I wish they'd explored this more, but, you know, we don't see the characters enough because he's weakened when uh, – he'd be pretty freaking weakened these days. But, you know, he's uh, based on the spirit of America and what America represents and what he represents, those ideals, uh, when they're corrupted, would corrupt Uncle Sam. When they're, you know, when they're weak, would weaken Uncle Sam.
1: Yeah. And I think some of these themes are played up symbolically in that uh, U.S. – Miniseries by uh, Alex
0: Ross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really play that up there because you know, you get the, like the giant Uncle Sam walking around, and so a, a little shout out to him here because he uses his catchphrase. <laughs> they get him to use his catchphrase on Superman, and Superman does not answer the call, uh.
1: which is kind of. Wow, he's come a long, time, a long way from all those covers, uh, you know, uh, supporting the war back in the 40s. <laughs> oh,
0: Superman, Superman. Uh, his cool move, I would say, is the Soviet standoff. Even though he's yeah. weakened and his will is weakened, or lifting mm-hmm. the boat out of the way. But we don't really see how that resolves after that. I mean, you can't really do some dogfighting with the space shuttle, can you?
1: No, I don't think so. It's yeah,
0: yeah. He probably uh, just you know then then he puts down the ship. Then he grabs the you know, but uh, that's his better move because stuff like creating oil tanks. That's I, I guess Bob Rozakis read an article about how this this stuff works. Because it's just like okay to me, you know.
1: I mean, I thought the the oil tanker thing, creating one, was an interesting demonstration of you know a neat way to apply his powers. Right. The the nuclear missiles and the space shuttle definitely cooler.
0: Uh, what about dumb or weird moves? What are the Freedom Fighters' dumbest moves?
1: Oh gosh, the dumbest move. I I did find it comical how Sam just slipped off from the rest of the fight to to track down the the Nazi guy in his office. You know, that was kind of silly. But uh, or when uh, when Superman and Sam return to the White House and they give these documents to Reagan. And they're like, you know, Reagan says, like, oh, the, the the Soviets practically laughed at us. And uh Uncle Sam says, Call them again, Mr. President. They won't be
0: laughing anymore. Like <laughs> <laughs> what's changed?
1: <laughs> I know. It's so cute. I don't know. It's really fun.
0: <laughs> For me about uh, Superman, uh I well, you know, it's we've talked about it all along. When Uncle Sam shows up, I think you should listen. Yeah. It seems it seems to me he has like the voice of authority.
1: Yeah. I mean Superman is A very busy guy. But when someone is kind of an elder statesman as a as a superhero, as Sam absolutely is in this case, you would think, especially knowing Superman's values and who he is, that he would absolutely stop uh, and hear Sam out.
0: Right. And even even having listened, he could still be faced with, well, you know, I got to help him track down the Constitution. But at the same time, oh, crap, this is happening here. This is a natural disaster here or a political disaster there. I got to take care of that before it's too late. And that way he has a moral dilemma as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Which I think is the puzzle that people want to give Superman in this era. Instead, he exo- ignores it and he keeps, I mean, and he's wasting a lot of time. He could have been helping Uncle Sam while he's... You know, looking at wheat under a microscope.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell?
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you're not going to solve the, a famine. Jeez, you know? Like. So that's his dumb move. Finally, the friendly farewell. The team-up tradition. There's always... They've they got to say goodbye to each other some way or part ways. How does this one rate as far as goodbyes in team-up comics?
1: Well, the kind of... The on-air... So I guess Sam is in on uh, Superman's Secret Identity. But, uh, the, you know, the on-air speech at GBS from Uncle Sam is kind of a, an apology and a send-off or whatever. Superman totally disregards and ignores the rest of the Freedom Fighters. He doesn't talk to them at all. <laughs> you
0: know? They hardly meet. Yeah. They, they have to be in the same room, you know, in, the, in the, the final, in the climax. But, yeah, there's nothing happening there between them. It's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, Ooh, uh, cool. it's a good goodbye. It's an on, on-air TV goodbye, but it's with Uncle Sam. I feel like the the ending where Uncle Sam reads the comic and is chuckling and all, that's the better ending, but it's not any kind of farewell. Uh, I agree. We'll take a break for a couple of promos, then we'll be back with our bonus team-ups.
1: Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. He was born in mythical America, a land of truth and justice. But when it was threatened by fascism and tyranny, little Superman was placed in an apple pie and sent to another Earth. The year was 1776, and he was able to help found a country that held to his birth world's ideals. Today, he's a little older and a little wiser, but the fight for what's right is far from over, as his adopted America once again faces the forces of tyranny. Uncle Superman wants you to buy his next issue on the Sands this 4th of July. Hi, I'm Nicholas Prom, the host of Comic Reflections, a podcast devoted to Silver and Bronze Age comics. Join me and my spunky sidekicks, Jeff Barnhart, the crusty Curmudgeon from Dogpatch USA, and Spencer Valadez, podcasting's very own Apache Chief, as we discuss the grooviest comic books of yesteryear. You'll find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at comicreflections.wordpress.com. What are you waiting for? Tune in, turn on, and kick ass!
0: We're back our final feature the bonus team up in which each of us proposes a perfect Freedom Fighters team up we'd like to see or if we hone our skills right <laughs> Nicholas what do you what have you got for us
1: I want to see Freedom Fighters and Captain America <laughs> in their 70s series the Freedom Fighters had have like a two part story where they fight stand-ins for the invaders called the Crusaders and that's all well and good but I want to see Captain America throw his mighty shield And Uncle Sam throw his mighty hat at Nazis together. (laughs) Also, who gives a more rousing patriotic speech? Cap or Uncle Sam?
0: That's going to be a fight between Marvel and DC. You know, editors having to, okay, well, who's the more patriotic hero? You'd think it's Uncle Sam, but who would deny Cap that moment, right? It's tough. But I agree, yeah, they did a lot of this in the 70s, you know? Like, fake Justice Leaguers, fake Avengers, and then, the, like, fake crossovers. Yeah. Sort of under the radar of the publishers. And the Crusaders was one, yeah. It was, they're totally due for an actual team-up. I agree with that. For me, I put Freedom Fighters with the red B. Now... Technically, the Red Bee is kind of an extended Freedom Fighters because he's also on Earth X. And whenever they've done, oh, look, the Freedom Fighters have grown. It's like every Earth X character. The newer series, the 2000 ones, 2005, 2006, have featured a Red Bee, though not the original, who was, you know, still kind of a laughing stock. But I want to do a story from the Red B's point of view. And the Freedom Fighters right. are, are trying to recruit him. Uh, and his pet bee michael of course and he wants nothing to do with them so it's a comedy uh, you know it's the red bee it's a red bee story so i want it to be a comedy but i also want him to be awesome in it he's the hero of his own story and they're kind of the screw-ups which I think you can totally do with Flying Tarzan and the Human Bomb. There's comedy to be be had there, I think.
1: What if the Red Bee was really, like, the greatest hero of Earth-X? He's just kicking all the ass.
0: (laughs) He doesn't need the Freedom Fighters, you know? (laughs) Uh, So they're barging into a situation they know nothing about, and, uh, you know, the Red Bee's kind of trying to... stem the tide sort of thing so uh that would be my team up which is sort of a cheat because i guess the red B is a member or was a member at some point but when you do a team up you still got to give like one character even if he's to become a member that character has like a bigger role and i'm a big red B fan there are not a lot of us but <laughs> <laughs> i'm a big red beef like a, i'm a rom space knight fan i'm a freedom fighters fan i am a red B fan dig it <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thanks for teaming up with me, Nicholas. Uh, tell people what you're working on these days.
1: Well, let's see. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, on Comic Reflections, we are currently covering... Uh, The DC Challenge, we're about halfway through that. Getting close to wrapping up my side project, the Marvel Saga. Colin and I, when we finish DC Challenge, we are going to uh, go into the Jack Kirby uh, Eternals series. Nice. It's on the next slate of movies, maybe. Yeah. And nobody, I think, is covering it. So I think we're going to cover that and the 12-issue Maxi series from the
0: 80s. Great. Always up for some Kirby. Uh, I'll let you go back to your fireworks. And I'll stick around for your feedback on the last six months of FW Team Up, coming up after this short promo break.
1: The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year
0: is 1994, or
1: 1944, or maybe 2994. Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis?
0: And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue
1: by issue, tie in by tie in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
0: Remember, Legion. Okay, your feedback from the last six months. Um, you mo- maybe I'll start doing this more often, folks. Uh, starting with Batman and Plastic Man with Max Romero. On this Christmas special, we got mail from Rob Kelly, Gotham's Mansion, Tim Price, who asked about how Plas went from Earth X to Earth1, and who got a detailed answer from Max. Check it out at Farnwaterpodcast.com. Chris Franklin uh, and Martin Gray, who clarified things about the Joe Statton-Jim Apero collaboration. According to the letter call in that issue, it was definitely a matter of Staten providing uh, the layouts for Aparo to work from, not because of Staten's status as a PLAS master, but to help the series, which had recently been promoted to monthly status and to stay on schedule. Where did you get that stuff about Staten doing the PLAS stuff, Siskoid? The PLAS figures really don't look like pure Staten. They're too heavy to which I can only say my opinion is unprofessional at best. On The Thing in Sasquatch team-up with Michael May, we got comments from Tim Price, Chris Franklin, and Lizanne Oswalt, who says of Canadians, Yeah, they do y'all bad in comics, but look at me in Louisiana. We get Gambit and Belladonna. New Orleans is treated as a giant swampland. Good luck finding swamps in New Orleans outside of the zoo. And yep, we get the Pigeon French as well. Does anyone speak like they do? Or like Batch Rock? I lived in Lafayette, the Big Easy, Shreveport, Bossier City, Morgan City, etc. No one talks like that. Nothing looks like that. And then voodoo. That's tourist crap. It gets people to visit and look at the college-educated people acting like papachangos and crap. I think Captain Sisko was the only character from Louisiana who sounds like a person from New Orleans would. But what the hell, right? You win some, you lose some. Yeah, Lizanne, like any minority, Cajuns have been woefully represented in comics, or misrepresented. Uh, that's true. DC Comics had the right idea in using mostly fictional cities, because you know, you're know you kind of sure you won't misrepresent anyone that way. Uh, on the Superman-Demon team-up uh, with Mike Peacock, we got responses from Chris Franklin, Rob Kelly, Lizanne Oswald, Diablo Frank, Tim Price... Uh, Amalgam promo fan Ward Hill Terry, and Gothos Mansion, who says Len Wein was a natural for team-up books. He seemed to get every character that he tackled. Here, here On the thing an Iron Man... Team up with Guest Illegal Machine. We got feedback from Brian Linton, Diablo Frank, who tells us Steve Gerber gets all the respect because of Howard the Duck, but I believe uh, he says Bill Mandlow is the more beloved purveyor of Bronze Age Marvel weirdness. Prester John almost kind of works, but I can't tell you if uh, the mustache does him in or is the only thing keeping him from being an extra in a Thor comic. He also responds to our discussion on how the thing somehow got to be the star of a team-up book. Uh, He says I've never been able to get into the thing and his hundred issues of team ups felt less like a testament to his appeal and more like his modest popularity made a plus one series seem desirable when compared to a pure solo offering. See also every attempt to sell less than four Fantastic Four members. Ben Grimm has broad, simple personality traits and adaptability to a variety of story types nigh invulnerable and well-connected, that makes him something of a convenient cipher. The idea of Grimm being used as a sentient crash-test dummy by Reed Richards and Tony Stark at least offered an inroad to me. A lot of The Things stories lose me because he's such a jerk, but his being brave, strong, dumb enough to be continuously exploited in this way makes him immediately more sympathetic and less of a wimpy hulk by way of Oscar the Grouch. Tim Price has this opinion on the matter. He says, I assume the Thing was the more popular member of the FF during this era, and that's all the reason needed. And making it a team-up book works naturally for a character that's always been in a group. As for Ben being the Super Dave of Marvel, I could see an argument being made that Ben is secretly a thrill-seeker. In his solo series, post-Marvel 2-in-1, it dealt a lot with Ben's depression. One way to compensate is to keep busy, or for a super-strong brick... Maybe trying to be hurt was an excuse to feel something. I'm not arguing that the writers at the time thought that way, but it's a strong possibility nowadays. Batman and Wildcat vs. The Joker with Dr. Ange. We got comments from Chris Franklin, Chuck Coletta, Brian Rosen, Doc Loki, who credits Wildcat's nine lives to Grant Morrison's Crisis Times 5 story. Tim Price, Rob Kelly, who says, I don't need to re-re-restate my love of 70s apparel, but as you talked about, boxing is a perfect sport for him to draw since he excelled at making punches, kicks, and slams land with seemingly nuclear force. And Ward Hill Terry, who decodes Bob Haney's 1970s influences thus, says, as this went on sale in January 1975, let's see what was happening in America in 1974. 1. Boxing. Muhammad Ali was extremely popular. he just fought George Foreman in Zaire uh, a few months prior to this comics on sale date. 2. Motorcycle jump across the drawbridge. Evil Knievel attempted his Snake River Canyon jump in September 1974 with tremendous publicity. 3. Cute Dog. The movie Benji was released in October 1974 and was one of the top 10 grossing films of the year. 4. Sparta Prison. Although the riots at Attica State Prison were in 1971, the event was still in the zeitgeist, as evidenced later in 1975 when Al Pacino's character in Dog Day Afternoon uses the repetition of the word to incite a crowd. And a film documentary about the event was released in 1974. Johnny Cash had two successful albums that had been recorded live at prisons, and B.B. King did one also. And 5. Shoot This Dog. The infamous cover for National Lampoon, that is sort of mimicked here, was dated January 1973. Uh, let's talk about the Spider-Man and Frogman episode with Amélie Montour. Uh, everyone jumped on me for not recognizing Pia as a legitimate surname. There was a joke about this, uh, i.e., Pia Zadora, who was at the height of her popularity in the 80s. Uh, we got feedback from Gene Hendrix, JC Carlos, Rob Kelly, who says since he can never tell which voice is which on Oh hot More Not, he appreciates the solo Avengers spotlights uh, with one of the girls on FW Team Up. Uh, who else? Ange, Chris Franklin, Mark Baker Wright, who corrected my pronunciation of Louisville, Kentucky. I said Louisville. The Irredeemable Shag, uh, who was one of many to call White Rabbit Hot. Tim Price and Andrew Leyland, who says Roger Hotchberg was part of the teaching assistant crowd Peter Parker hung around with in the 80s. He's primarily a spectacular Spider-Man character under Roger Stern, but Demetrius uses him a fair bit, most notably in his Craven's Last Hunt sequel. The whole team-up run by Demetrius and Gamble is so good, he says. Uh, then we did Batman and Sergeant Rock. With Jared Albrick on that Memorial Day special. Everyone loved Jared's, uh, Sergeant Rock voice. And we got mail from Rob Kelly, Chris Franklin, Tim Price, and Matt Sirois, who recalls that there was an Easter egg about Schwarzenegger doing a Sergeant Rock movie in Predator. Hawkins, who was played by Shane Black, can be seen reading a copy of Sergeant Rock number 408, most notably in the closing credits sequence. I also want to read Gothos Mansion's comment. Uh, He says, If you really want to get confused about what Earth a story takes place on, you need to read Brave and the Bold, number 124's Batman Rock Team-Up. That is the issue where the villains from the Batman Rock Team-Up show up at Jim Aparo's house and try to force Aparo into drawing Batman getting killed in the story. Yeah, okay, we gotta do that one. And the latest episode was a Planet of the Apes Alien Nation mashup with guest Derek William Crabb. Feedback was received by Rob Kelly, Tim Price, Ryan Daly, and Jack Bond, who relates a Planet of the Apes team-up uh, that was a secret War of the Worlds crossover. Uh, in the 70s, Marvel UK reprinted the Kill Raven series, which is set in a future where the Martians came back in 2001 and conquered Earth. They reprinted it, Uh, as part of their Planet of the Apes by redrawing the Martians as apes and renaming Killraven Apeslayer. So it may be a coincidence, but uh, he's got an urge to look up this uh, the Simon the Apeslayer guy in Adventure's regular book to see if there's a link. Uh, yeah, wow, that sounds insane. And on that note, a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments. The best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter. There we are, FW Podcasts. See you next time for another amazing superhero team up because, after all, justice is a team effort.
1: Together with the stars and stripes, can it's the perfect connection for fellows and girls? And under your arm is the top of the world. Uncle Sam is the antiperspirant deodorant.
0: In Sydney, on Melbourne, in Brisbane, on Perth.
1: Just play Uncle Sam here yeah, for all that you're worth. Oh, I love connection for fellas and girls. And under your arm is the
0: top of the world. Say it again, Shane. And under your arm is the top of the world. No sweat.